If you go into that third chapter of Ezra, you'll see when they were establishing the foundation, they were putting in the foundation of the temple, the second temple. Solomon's temple had been destroyed under Nebuchadnezzar's armies, the temple in the city. And they were putting in the foundation of the second temple. And something slowed the process down. You realize almost 20 years later, the temple wasn't done. The temple hadn't been completed almost 20 years later, not quite. About 16 years later, the temple hadn't been completed. You know that's the period, if you are a Bible student, that Haggai and Zechariah were prophesying? You know, sometimes we think of Bible prophets and we think they went on for years prophesying. Do you know how long that Haggai operated as a prophet? As far as what's recorded in the Bible? Who can tell me how long Haggai's prophecies went on in terms of the time he spent prophesying? Years, right? Most of his life, right? When I said years, it was a clue. It wasn't even one year. Four months. The whole span of Haggai being touched by the Lord with prophecy was four months long. From the sixth month of the second year of Darius' reign to the ninth month of the second year of Darius' reign. You can find that right in the book of Haggai from the first chapter into the second. Four-month-long prophecy. He was drilling towards that point. We have got to get busy about the work of the Lord. We are restoring something, saints. You realize Israel came back and started restoring and got tired and looked around and said, there's other things we need to work on. Haggai made this statement in the first chapter of Haggai. Why dwell you, you and your sealed houses? You're already putting the roof on your house. You know what's interesting about that word in Hebrew? It doesn't just mean to put beams or rafters up. It also is a word used to lay a table. For you deep thinkers, think about that in terms of them having their own doctrine. You lay in your own tables. But literally what it meant there was putting up the beams and rafters on your houses. Why are you dwelling in your sealed houses? It's in the fourth verse. Well, if you want to get the picture, you better go back to the beginning. In the second year of Darius the king, in the ninth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Yasadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time the Lord's house should be built. You know why they were saying that? Because of Jeremiah's prophecy. They knew that from 586, marking off 70 years, would be 516. Darius began his reign somewhere around 522. So this was around 519 or 20. Three or four years before the 70 years were up. So they were excusing themselves from building the house of the Lord by saying, the 70 years isn't up yet, so I guess I might as well work on my projects. I've actually talked to people, I'll bet you all have some of you too, that say, I'll come back and get involved in the work of the Lord when the church is restored. You know, I believe in that vision. I believe the church is going to be restored. But you know... I don't really like the church as it is, so I'm going to wait till it's restored and then I'll come back. You won't come back. That isn't my opinion, by the way. You won't come back. I'm going to tell you, it's a prophecy. Unless your heart is different than that, you won't come back. I'll tell you why. Because God is restoring the church for those that are doing the work of restoration. Those that God's restoring the church for are the ones doing the work of restoration. It's those who stayed true to Him that He's restoring that church for. Now it's going to broaden out to the rest of the world, but I'd imagine if my attitude was such that I didn't want to be a part of the project, do you really think God's going to let you be a part when all the work's done? I so appreciate all the work, as I said in the beginning. Everybody was doing around this property the other day. I appreciate that. appreciate the people were willing. It was not all easy work. I appreciate the sweat and labor that went in. Thank you for doing it. 
That's the heart and spirit that we're going to have to have in every area of what we're doing for the Lord. I'm not just talking about physical labor, saints. I'm talking about the fact that we have to have a heart that is ready to work. Whatever the work is. A spirit of labor. It's what happened in this book of Haggai here. The people got a heart to work. You'll see it in Nehemiah too. When they were building the wall, the people were stirred up. In Ezra and Nehemiah's day, they had a people that loved the Lord. They loved the work. They had gotten distracted. This wasn't an evil group of people. This wasn't a bad group of people. But they'd gotten distracted by the cares of life. Listen to the list that's here. Listen to what He says to them. Is it time for you? They were saying the time's not come. We've got a couple years before the 70-year judgment's over. Is it time for you, O you, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? From the standpoint of the church... We ought not to ever want to dwell in a sealed house where a ceiling of man-made doctrine and order has been put over us. You might see a ceiling above you in the physical realm, but there is no ceiling, glass or otherwise, over this assembly between you and God that's been created by lines of doctrine or anything else that you cannot break through to get to God. There is no ceiling built over this house that is not a removable roof. Don't you appreciate that? Unless you understand what I'm talking about, you might not appreciate it. Look, this world is full of churches that have ceilings that have been built that are very old ceilings that will never be taken off. That church will have to be brought level with the ground before they'll ever be able to open that thing up. We have never closed the doors or the roof of this place. It's always open to correction from the God of heaven. Always open to adjustment. Always open to whatever God may reveal to us. We may be wrong about some things, saints. You better believe we are wrong about some things or we would be further along. There are things we don't have all the truth on. Let's keep the roof open till God's ready to put a covering on it. God knows how to put a covering on, but He won't put it on until He's poured something in. There was no roof on the upper room. <laughs> don't get literal with me now. There was probably a roof. But there was no roof on the upper room. God was going to pour some things in there first. And then He could begin creating a final covering over that. Consider your ways. He says this several times. You've sown much and bring in little. Very little produced. You have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there's none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages and put it in a bag with holes. We are in a day like that. Literally and spiritually. Like Amos said, the Lord said there's a day that's going to come where there's going to be a famine that I'm going to create. It's God's famine. He's created it. It's not a famine for bread or for water. It's a famine for hearing the Word of the Lord. And I'm not talking about the Word of the Lord in a general sense. And I don't think that's what God was talking about. Because anybody can read the Word of the Lord. And you can hear it on all kinds of different venues right now. The Word of the Lord is being preached all the time. But let me ask you a little question. If the Word of the Lord is being preached in a thousand different variations that contradict each other, which one is the Word of the Lord? You know the Word of the Lord could be being preached across this whole nation from pulpit to pulpit right now, but if things are being preached that are false, there's still a famine for hearing the Word of the Lord. It's the reason the roof hasn't been put on this place yet, saints. Because we want God to be able to add any of His Word He can until finally the only thing that is going out from this pulpit is the Word of the Lord. We can come in and be filled. We can come in and drink of the Spirit until we've been saturated. We can come in and eat of the Word until we've been satisfied. Praise His holy name.
And if we put a ceiling on, what we've got in here is all we'll ever have. You know, that's the best reason not to put a ceiling on. What we've got is all we'll ever have if we seal this over. But if we leave the ceiling off until God puts it on, He can add and add and add more of His Word and more of His Spirit. And we haven't put a doctrinal or denominational ceiling. And that is, real bluntly, exactly what we have taught that that ceiling is. A denominational covering. We have come down to every line of thought about what we believe about the Bible. And there is no room for adjustment. There's no room for discussion. A, B, C, D is what we believe. And if you don't believe it the way we do, you really aren't an acceptable member of the church. You just put walls and ceiling over your church. And God didn't put them there. Man did. Council of men structured that and put it over that church. Until we get the fullness of the truth, saints, let's not put a ceiling over our heads. God in heaven forbid. So in this second year of Darius, all this activity was going on between Haggai and Zechariah. talks about how they looked for much and it came to little. The heaven over them has stayed from dew and the earth from her fruit. And it goes on with all these things. And after this message about all this limitation that was not allowing them to have the fullness of God's intent for them, do you realize that message that came from the mouth of Haggai so stirred them up? It started with the leadership, by the way. It says in the 14th verse, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. God has to stir that spirit up within us once in a while to say, come on now. And Haggai's message was about that, prioritizing that building project. And there's encouraging statements. I'm going to clip them short, but you've got to read them. About what could happen when that spirit rises up in the people. We've got a vision, saints. We've got a vision that's critically important. And if we can't capture it, if it can't capture us, if we can't catch it and it can't capture us, we're in a day like the day of those great men. We're in a day... Not only like that day in its darkness, but in a day that demands that other men rise to that potential. Men and women. day that demands we have a spirit that's willing to work. day that demands we have a spirit that's going to work whatever the cost. And we're going to work with the right tools. And we're going to try to build the right order. We're going to find the right truth. Look, part of the reason our Bible studies have been so productive and have had such a wide range of effect Part of the reason they've been so effective, saints, is because this is a day that truth needs to be dealt with. We're not done restoring the church of the living God yet. We're still in process of restoration. And there are some things God has yet to reveal that are just under the surface. We've been picking at them sometimes. We've been brushing at them sometimes, our tools, but they're just under there. And parts of them are starting to come to the surface. And in order for us to believe the truth, saints, we've got to believe a truth that may make us have to stand out from this world. That's part of what restoration is. We're restoring something that when it is done, saints, when it is completed, it will be something like this world has never seen. Haggai made that beautiful statement just a little later from where we were reading regarding the restoration of that temple. And he said, and we've held on to this as a dual prophetic statement. A statement about the restoration of the second temple historically. A statement about the restoration of the church typologically. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. You know, God is going to build another house in this last day. He had a great and glorious house that came out of that upper room. And it parallels that house that he built that was Solomon's temple. When Solomon built his temple and the foundation was laid, part of the dedication ceremony of that temple was that they had 120 individuals with trumpets. 
that sounded those trumpets in unison when that temple was dedicated, and when those trumpets were sounded in unison, and the power of God went out across that temple, it filled the house with such a cloud of glory that the priests who were trying to carry out their business of the work of the Lord could not stand to minister because the cloud of God's glory had washed into that temple. Now that was the first temple under Solomon's day. Isn't that interesting that there would be 120 trumpeters playing in unison because God built a new house in the second chapter of the book of Acts when 120 were in the upper room in one place and in one accord and all of a sudden a sound came as a mighty rushing wind and everybody in the house started to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance and the ceiling of that little church was wide open. They hadn't built a doctrinal or denominational ceiling. They were just looking up to heaven, waiting upon the Lord, standing in unity, standing together. They didn't have a full unity of doctrine yet because God hadn't given them all the truth yet. Jesus said when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will lead you into all truth. They didn't have all the truth yet, but they had the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And they were standing shoulder to shoulder saying, And as they stood there waiting on the Lord and getting into unity, saying whatever comes, whatever the Lord reveals, we're going to stand together and we are not going to be moved. Praise His holy name. And 120 men and women stood in that upper room. And all of a sudden, like a mighty rushing wind, the glory cloud of heaven came down into that place. And they all spake with other tongues the Spirit of God gave utterance. Isn't that incredible how similar that is to what happened at the dedication of Solomon's temple? You know why? God was building a new temple. And if those are parallels, wouldn't you think the second temple might have a parallel with the latter rain church if the early rain church was one? If that second temple is at all a parallel, you realize when they laid the foundation of that house, a great shout went up. That younger generation that had such a hunger for the things of God and for God's order to be reestablished that was so on fire with zeal for God shouted out with a great shout and it said the shout was heard afar off. And the older generation, and you might look at this for several motives. One of them could be they might not have initially thought it was as glorious as the former house. Maybe it's why Haggai said the prophecy he did. Another reason could be that they wept tears of joy. God has given us back. His holy house. Said those elder men that had seen the temple in its glory wept tears. And the younger men shouted with a great shout. And the glory of God came over that place. And do you realize that that is exactly what God is going to do in the latter rain church? We're looking back. We are looking back to the temple that was. The house that was. The house of God that came out of the upper room. But saints, you and I have another hope set out in front of us a promise, a prophetic and typological hope that you and I are standing on that even in a day where they're hid like Isaiah prophesied in holes, they're snared in holes, they're hid in prison houses. Who are? People are hid in holes of false religion right now. They're snared. They're tied up captive in prison houses of religion. Some of which even have the name Christian on them. Jesus came to loose the prisoners, to set the captives free. So let every individual go free from those yokes of bondage. And He's going to do it again. Those that have been imprisoned in false doctrine. Those imprisoned in pseudo-Christianity. Those imprisoned in nominal Christianity. Those imprisoned in Babylonish Christianity. There's a call that's going to go out. Come out of her, my people. 
and be not partaker of her sins. It's already sounding, saints, but it hasn't reached the range yet to reach everybody's ears. When that call goes out, there's going to be a revival that sweeps this world like it has never seen. And God is going to establish a church again in this last day. And the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Praise the great and holy God of heaven, saints. And if He did that back then, what can He do today with a people that have surrendered their hearts to Him? My God in heaven, saints. We are standing on the precipice of one of the greatest exercises of the power of God in all the history of creation. God is getting ready not just to set up a church that will reap Israel and reap that early Gentile world. He's getting ready to set up a church which not only will not have the gates of hell prevail against them in their day, but never again will any power be able to pollute or to corrupt the church God is setting up in this last day. There is going to be a virgin church set up in this last day never again to fall away. Never again to be polluted. Never again to be divided into all these camps of queens and concubines and virgins. But there'll be one, praise His holy name, His undefiled, His dove is but one, the only one of her mother, choice one of her that bear her. Who is this that looketh forth as the morning, clear as the sun, fair as the moon, terrible as an army with banners? That beautiful tapestry in Song of Solomon 6 that I just quoted part of. In the beginning, it talks about Tirzah. Beautiful as Tirzah. Terrible as an army with banners. Then he describes her. What I just quoted. Look, there are queens many. There's concubines many. There's all kinds of people out there in a form of relationship with Jesus. And whether he accepts it in some limited way or whether he doesn't accept it at all. There are even virgins without number. But my dove, my undefiled is but one. It goes on to say, after it says, Who is this that looketh forth as the morning, clear as the sun, and fair as the moon, and terrible as an army with banners? Twice it describes an army in that chapter. And I said here the other week, right after that it says return. Return from where? Return from the wilderness. That's what it says in the 8th chapter. I quoted earlier in the service. Who is this that cometh up out of the wilderness? Return. Return, O Shulamite! Restored back to this world, a pure church, a clean church, without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. And she's going to go forth out of the wilderness, girded for battle, praise His holy name, yes. conquering, praise God, conquering saints. One of the brethren said at this meeting in Louisville, I'm going to just re-paraphrase the statement. He said, I am getting tired of people saying how the church is in danger and there's enemies all around us and what are we going to do? Look at the world around us and how bad it's getting. He said, the church that I'm a part of is a conquering church. What in the world are we worried about the world when we have the King of Glory in the midst of us? Right in the middle of the book of Numbers, they were in a desperate situation. There were nations all around those children of Israel afraid of them because of them moving through their lands. They tried to take the king's highways a few times. They said, you're not welcome here. Stay on the other side. And finally, one of them, Balak, decided he was going to curse them, so he found a false prophet to carry it out for him. A false prophet that became a true prophet. Isn't that something? How many of those you see in the Bible? 
He didn't become a true prophet by conversion. He became a true prophet by being forced to do it. Here Balaam stood over Israel. One of the most glorious statements he said when he looked out over the tents of Israel. I'm going to paraphrase slightly. He said, who in God's name can fight against this people? Look at the tents spread out. Look at the covering of God over them. Look at the pillar of fire and the pillar of the cloud. There's power that's there. And in the midst of those statements, he said the shout of a king is among them. You realize there's still a shout of a king among the people of God? You realize Christ can still let His voice be heard in His church? King Jesus, praise His holy name. The shout of a king is still in the camp of the children of the Most High God. Praise His holy name. And as long as there's a shout of a king being heard in this assembly, saints, there is no need to fear any enemy that's outside the walls because the king is still among us. Praise His holy name. The unconquerable king and lion of the tribe of Judah. Praise the great God of heaven. Praise my God, my God. Lord, praise your wonderful name, Lord. Praise your wonderful name. My God and my King.